0: Hey, it's Sarah and Kristen, and we have a very interesting episode to share with you guys today. We had the privilege of having Luke Pryor, a local ultra trail runner and clinical and performance psychologist, on the show. Luke, in his own right, is a very
1: experienced ultra runner. He shares with us his story from growing up on a farm in Ballarat to his life now living in a tiny home, in his words, a fancy caravan, and working as a psychologist on the Sunshine Coast. He talks about some key approaches to applying psychology to an endurance mindset, specifically in the areas of mindfulness, gratitude and compassion.
0: We discuss his plans for his upcoming Fastest Known Time or FKT on the Goldfields Track in Victoria and find out about his why for some of these long events that he loves doing.
1: As we discussed in our last episode that Kristen and I just recorded, this is all a learning experience and so we really apologise for the background popping noise that we've still not sorted out. Hopefully it doesn't take too much away as the conversation in this was really great. Cue the intro music with Kristen. Welcome to episode seven of the Into the Riars podcast. My name is Sarah Pendergrass, and I am here today with my beautiful co-host, Kristen Vorton Hello. We are excited today to introduce a good friend of mine, Luke Pryor. Now, Luke, I stole your Instagram bio <laughs> to use as an introduction to you because actually, this little self-published work is very descriptive of things that we'd love to talk to you about today and of you. So. Luke's Instagram bio says clinical psychologist and BxSI enjoy working with endurance athletes brain emoji <laughs> move often <laughs> explore your mind connect with nature and live simply
0: welcome Luke
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like with Matt, this is the first time that you and I have ever sat in a room together. You you guys obviously know each other much better. We probably know, like, of each other from the mm-hmm. very small community of the Sunshine Coast Runners. So we kind of like to do a little bit of a warm-up round with some quick-fire questions. Sarah always likes to introduce these as like, now try and make them as quick as you can. I actually like it when we go for a little bit of a tangent. (laughs) So, whatever you want to answer, that's totally cool. But the very important first question pineapple on pizza, hell's yes or hell's no? Definitely yes. Yeah! Find somebody (laughs) (laughs) once, Sarah. (laughs) All right, hells yes, pineapple and pizza, move on. <laughs> Keeping it quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: so if you could only choose one of the following for the rest of your life, would it be the mountains or the ocean?
2: That's a really unfair question, I think. Um, especially is, living uh, in Sunshine Coast know, where you so get a little, little bit of both. That. I think I'd go to the mountains. Yep, okay. Just. And why? Yeah. I, know it's I think there's worse. just something beautiful about oh, the Christian. scenery <laughs> up there. You know, when it gets foggy in the morning, like we're driving down the Hinsland today and it was just, someone had a fire going, you could just see the the smoke and that sort of stuff down the, down the valley. It was just beautiful. And the sunsets and sunrises up there are beautiful. So yeah, but then I would miss the tranquility and the peacefulness of the ocean too. So yeah, it's probably 51% mountains, 49% ocean.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. uh, If you have to choose a karaoke song, what would you choose? (laughs) (laughs) Luke just rolled his eyes there, if you didn't hear that.
2: (laughs) I've got, like, a weird mental block with music and lyrics, so I'm absolutely terrible, but... um
0: You've got the lyrics in front of you, man. Like, yeah. you are set up for success.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Probably go maybe a bit of slide by Goo, Goo Dolls, maybe.
0: Oh, <laughs> awesome. Good choice. Good choice. We were, like, just briefly talking about this before, and I, I don't know if you know about Sarah. She's got a very big mental block with karaoke.
1: Like, it's a phobia. I would say it's it's worse than my fear of heights, my fear of karaoke.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> like,
0: for real. Worse I'm, like, stealing the microphone and I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm, like, not singing. I'm What's screaming. your song? Uh, I'd definitely be R. Kelly, uh, Remix Ignition, which is, like, based off of the intro music. Like, that is for sure my karaoke song. Now it's all coming clear. I love it. All right,
1: (laughs) okay, Luke. What is the most memorable place that you have camped?
2: Growing up as a kid, we go used to go up to where my grandpa grew up, and it was memorable for its vastness and not a lot up there. But it was a pretty special place. So it was up in the Mallee, which is sort of northwest. Uh, Victoria, um, it was about a it was about a four-hour drive from Ballarat, so you'd drive up through country town and lots of wheat farms, and you would get out there, and there was just like little mallee scrub, sand dunes, and it was just, yeah, really peaceful and beautiful campfire. My grandpa and his brother had built this shack in the middle of nowhere and this clearing, um, so you'd get these beautiful clear nights with stars and everything like that. So I think that was probably the, my favourite and most memorable spot. And cool. most meaningful spot that we camp. So, yeah. is it
1: somewhere that you can visit still now? Or... Yeah, it's
2: really hard to because it's a bit of a. By the time you fly back to Melbourne and then drive four hours, it's you really need a week off to kind of <laughs> make yeah. it worthwhile. So I haven't yeah. been back for a while, but um, yeah, my family all still go back over Easter and uh, quite often a bit throughout the year. It gets quite hot in summer, so yeah. generally the cooler months are the better. Once for that, but that's definitely a special place that I'd love to go back and just sort of disconnect. There's not really any phone reception out there, and you just like lots of quiet and downtime. You have to make your own fun a little bit, which is yeah, it's good nice. fun. So. That's
0: cool. Yeah, I like that. There's not a lot of spots I feel like in Australia too that you can really see the stars as well. Yeah. So if you can get that full aspect of it, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, this one is probably not as relevant for me. I don't name things, but apparently you and Sarah name things. What's the name of your van? <laughs>
2: The name of my van is uh, Cliffy. Cliffy, uh, okay. It was named after Cliffy Young, the famous ultramarathon runner. So, yeah, I was a pretty obsessed with running, and still am, I guess. So uh, that seemed apt when I uh, bought the van about probably six years ago now. So, yeah,
0: cool. Mm. Cliffy and Brian. Yeah.
2: <laughs> good ones. Pl- plenty of adventures.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, okay, next one. Favorite trails.
2: I do love the Baroon Pocket to Condalilla section, mm. which is now amazingly about five minutes drive from my place. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a beautiful spot um, and a place I just love to go and disconnect and unwind and just yeah, just be be out there and be one with nature when you're out
1: there. It's it's so beautiful. If you're not familiar with it, it's like it's probably my favorite out and back on the coast. So it's like ten k's each way, Baroon to Condalilla. I yeah. think it's fair. A lot of climbing, but through beautiful rainforest, it is just so stunning. And then you get to the waterfall at the end. So, yeah. yeah. Which, when I was
2: living in the van, sort of doubled up as my bath and shower before <laughs> heading off to work <laughs> some morning. So.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cool. I like that spot as well. I get all the good questions as well. So a zombie apocalypse is coming. Oh, I'd love that. You've got, I guess for some people, that's not far from reality, right? (laughs) Which three people are on your team?
2: That's a tough question.
0: Yeah. It can be anyone. Yeah. Dead or alive, like anybody in the world, you've got full range of the spectrum right now.
2: Wow. Well, I've secretly always kind of wanted that to happen. There's a part of me that would just love to be involved in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I'm but... pretty
0: sure all runners are like, yeah, it's fine. We got it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. You'd want someone pretty resourceful, but jeez, uh, who would you have? I think Rambo would mm. probably good to have. Yeah. <laughs> good, it's a, good first choice. That's yeah. <laughs> it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd probably be in trouble if I didn't mention my partner, Cara, so she can come along. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> Got that one done. And number three. Uh, whoo, number three. That is a tough one. I... He'd probably get the
0: Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a theme here. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure right. one of mine would be Will Smith. Oh, I know yeah. he just filmed I Am Legend, but I feel like he'd have some like, good dealt resources. with a <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's all the fun stuff. That's all the quick fire questions. So it's a lot more, you know, easy going from here now. See, <laughs> so did well. Um, so, Luke, like we mentioned, I don't know you very well. Um, I like to kind of give people the floor and just kind of give a full background, as much or as little as you'd like to speak about, of kind of your origin story.
2: Yeah. All right. So I grew up in Ballarat. Uh, we I grew up on a farm. We had a hundred acre farm, which um, I'm so thankful for growing up in that area. We. Uh, My family went bankrupt when I was about 13, so we moved into into Ballarat. It was about 20 or 30 minutes drive from Ballarat at the time. Um, But I loved growing up there. It was kind of that idyllic lifestyle of just waking up as a kid. Mum was super easy and relaxed. She was definitely the opposite of a helicopter parent and basically would give us some matches and stuff to go down to the back paddock and light a fire and cook some sausages and or even drive the old Kingswood down the back to collect a thing of wood. And I was like eight years old. Love so, it. That's so good. used to just love that and come back at nighttime covered in mud and scratches and bruises and just having crazy adventures on the farm. So, um, absolutely loved that. And, um, yeah, so grateful for that, that experience growing up. I do remember when we moved into Ballarat, we were sort of pretty wild and had to kind of tone things down because we we're in like a neighborhood <laughs>
1: And so in terms of siblings?
2: Yeah, so my two younger brothers, um, Brett and oh, Lockie. Three boys. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good on your mom. <laughs> She's a trooper.
2: <laughs> so yeah, we are pretty intense. I remember we were pretty, being very loud when we kind of moved into the neighborhood and we had to kind of, you know, relearn. <laughs> it's all back. Manners and <laughs> <laughs> city open. life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this is a random question. Did you have like any working dogs on the farm? We did, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a... First dog we had was um, Tash, which was a big German shepherd. Um, I think I used to ride around like a horse when I was a, I was a child.
0: <laughs> dogs were a lot more patient back then. Yeah. <laughs> Good genes. Yeah. Yeah. And then
2: we had a lot of, you know, Kelpie kind of working dogs because we, we had a sheep farm and spud farm there. So
0: Awesome. Yeah, Very cool.
2: So, so that was cool. That was really enjoyed li- living, growing up there. Um, moved into Ballarat and um, yeah, I was really active, playing a lot of sport as a kid Um and then probably, yeah, had some early childhood trauma that kind of happened to me when I was younger and I probably got into alcohol a little bit and kind of experimented with that a fair bit and um, that kind of was probably the dark side of my life a little bit where it kind of pulled me away from my true values a little bit and that sort of thing. So that was, um, I look back on it now and it's like taught me a lot of positive things and give me a lot of positive skills but it was definitely a confusing and difficult kind of time to kind of explore and I think sport, particularly when I was about 17, I got right into the gym and that was like a really individual kind of um, activity that I had full autonomy and control over and I just loved that that part of it. So that was really cool and that kind of helped keep me on the straight and narrow, I think. Like I think if I didn't have sport and this like obsession and passion for exercise and fitness, um, I probably would have gone down a very different path to what I did. I was a pretty big rat bag at high school. I was kind of – I had enough smarts about me not to be too antisocial, but I was a cheeky kid, had good relationships with teachers, but I'm sure I frustrated the hell out of them sometimes. And I remember my year 12 coordinator telling me at one stage he pulled me into the office and it was a pretty lower sort of status sort of school, if you like. Um, I never wore school uniform once throughout year 12, which – Every day the teacher's are like, look, where's your uniform? I'm like, yeah, I know. And then same thing happened. It's like <laughs> day every day.
0: So your school did have a uniform, but you're like, yeah, nah. Yeah, it was pretty flexible. <laughs> school uniforms is a little side note. Did you have uniforms? Oh yeah, very strict. Yeah, we do not have uniforms in America unless um unless you're at a private school. Mm-hmm. So the concept of even just public schools having uniforms at first was like, "Oh my god, this is like so strict." Um and it's gotten more used to it like the more I see kids out and stuff, but like it was pretty loose. Like you could wear kind of whatever you wanted. And looking back I'm like, "Ooh, would be a lot of people distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. A bit rebellious. Yeah, so I was pretty a little
2: bit rebellious, and but kind of knew where the boundaries were a little bit. But um, I did definitely didn't apply myself at high school, and hence my year twelve coordinator pulled me into his office and basically told me, um, I don't know whether it was reverse psychology at the time, but it definitely worked. Whether his intentions were pure or not, but he told me that I would never make anything in my life, and I would never go to uni, and never be kind of. I was like, okay. It's- cool. And I, when he solved that, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong, like yeah. stuff you. Um, and then I, I had 12 months off because I would never have got into uni with my <laughs> year 12 grades and um, worked flat out. And that was when my passion for exercise and fitness really took off. So that's when I went and studied exercise science. So I got into that as a mature age student and was super motivated to study that. So um, really kind of worked hard in that and did did well in that and then kind of worked in that field for a, a long time or you a know, reasonable amount of time and was working with sort of elite athletes and, and recreational athletes as well. And it was sort of at a tipping point where um, I I was doing a lot of volunteer work and getting a lot of experience and I was, I was either needed to make a choice of which way to go and ended up going, okay, I think maybe I don't want to be in this area for the rest of my life, even though I love it. And that's when I went back and started studying psychology, so kind of, it's been about 12 months really reading as much as I can cuz psychology is a, you know it's a 6 year kind of process to go through to be a qualified psychologist so I really wanted to make sure I knew what I was doing and getting it in for the right reasons so um and I think I had you know a lot of my own therapy around that time as well and that's probably when I did a lot of you know healing from that kind of early childhood sort of stuff and then um started to get on top of like probably a little bit of, you know, uh, recreational kind of substance use and um, alcohol sort of stuff and, um, yeah, jumped into the psychology stuff and um, I just love learning um, and, um, yeah, really loved, you know, studying that and basically graduated from that. Um so I'd done about 10 years of uni or even a little bit longer by the time i sort of gone through it and I was sort of, yeah my first real proper full time job was when I was about 31 or 32 I think um
0: wow. yeah <laughs> yeah
2: um, and that was in the prison system working in um in the prison system doing sort of offending behavior programs and um that was a really cool experience really enjoyed that and then um I came up to Queensland for my first ever ultra which was the Flinders Tour 50k loved it up here and I was just sort of staying in Brisbane I'm like oh, this city's really kind of friendly and really enjoyed up here and I was looking to make a change and ended up sitting uh, in my hotel room that night after the Ultra and kind of jumped on Seek and found a job and applied for it in my hotel room that night. And... um yeah, I think it was about eight weeks later, I was moving up here to start start working work. And that's probably, I think, seven years ago, I moved up to Queensland. Cool. So, I love that. So, that's yeah. a cool yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. So
0: that was kind of cool. Yeah. Mm. So you've been here for seven years. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop the origin story, but that's a cool story of how you got here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yep, Yeah. So i moved, been in Brisbane for about five years and Sunshine Coast for the last couple of years. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Nice. And now, so you mentioned that you are living near that trail at Baroon Mm Pocket Dam. Do you want to talk a little bit about where you're living?
2: Yeah. So, uh, so it was about about Christmas, last Christmas, December. Um, I moved into my van full time. I was living in this like, yeah, crappy little rental place that was just sort of a temporary type sort of thing. It was pretty depressing. And then, um, I had to move out of that and I was going back to Victoria to visit family anyway. So I moved into the van for six months and, um and at that time, I was getting a tiny home built, um, and so that has been built and finished about three, four weeks ago, um, so it's very new.
1: Can you explain what a tiny home is?
2: Yeah, so it's basically, essentially like a, a fancy caravan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not what I was thinking, but
0: okay. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say, well, it's a tiny home. Well, no, because I've
1: spoken to a few people about tiny homes, and they've said, what's a tiny home? So oh, okay. I, I thought it was like common knowledge, but yeah. it's not. It's not a fancy Caravan. i'm a, I'm
2: a carney at heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's basically it's it 7.2 meters long 2.5 meters wide and about four meters high um and it's on on a big a big kind of trailer so you can move them around and transport them to different locations you wouldn't want to do it very regularly it's a bit of a process to do that but it's got full plumbing um compost sort of toilet with you know oven and kitchen and shower and all of the mod cons of a normal home um mine is a two-level one so it's got a loft bedroom with this beautiful skylight that just is amazing kind of just sitting in there and laying in bed like looking at the moon and the stars over the top of you know yeah, through the skylight is just something I sort of pinch myself every night pretty much um and yeah it's really well kind of made and designed with lots of storage um and yeah um, it looks beautiful Yeah, really excited about it. It's definitely been a a process and a learning process. Um, Some hard labour? It's been some hard (laughs) labour,
0: yeah. What do you mean? Did you do a little bit of the manufacturing of it? No,
2: well, it all came pretty much done except the compost toilet needed to be installed and then I've got a rainwater tank, which I've had um, some challenges getting some plumbers out there at the moment, so... Fingers crossed on Thursday, we'll finally have running water and a toilet to use. So, essentially, it's been fancy camping at the moment.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, your video on Instagram was pretty funny because it like is so small, getting down this single, you know, lane driveway. Yeah, yeah, driveway to actually get it there. So, when you have a tiny home, do you have to own the property that you're on, or you obviously get permission? But what's the, like, where are you?
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a grey area and depends on the council that you're in. So there's lots of different rules and regulations around it. It's technically classified as a caravan. That's slowly changing and hopefully it'll change a little bit more when people get a little bit more progressive with some of those council restrictions and laws. But So you're allowed to park it pretty much anywhere for a minimum of 12 months as a general concept, but then you would have to move it um, unless you've got it on some land that there's already a permanent dwelling on there. Um, Or I think if you park it on a farm and you're working on that farm, you can leave it there as long as you want as well. So a lot of people either end up purchasing it and having it as a second dwelling on a a bit of land, or a lot of people end up leasing land and, and parking it temporarily for you know however long they lease that land for on someone else's property which is what um, I've done so it's definitely a bit of a process and you have to kind of step into the unknown a little bit and sort of put your trust out in the universe that it's all going to fall into place Um, and I've we've been so lucky Cara and I in terms of just finding the most beautiful place we're on this like nature reserve that backs down to um, this beautiful creek down the back and there's some amazing trails around and we're just wake up and you feel like you're surrounded by the jungle so it's beautiful and we're looking forward to getting nice decking put out around around it and a uh, little fire pit down the bottom so yeah we're just like so so blessed to have found this beautiful spot which is just yeah it's paradise up on the
0: hinterland that's awesome mm. that's so cool and Kara does a bit of running as well we know that you you are a runner and is Kara?
2: yeah so Kara's a runner she um is used to be a, a competitive triathlete um, and lived over in uh, Italy for a while and training professional for a while there and then she had a moment where she was realising maybe the elite athlete life wasn't exactly what she wanted to do which I think's kind of I've got a fair bit of respect for her for that because a lot of us kind of go oh, I would love nothing more to live the elite athlete lifestyle but the reality of that is often very different to what we imagine it was and she realised her passion was in coaching and helping other athletes, so she, you know, made that decision that that wasn't for her, and really kind of moved back to Australia and um, really kind of uh, invested in the strength and conditioning, sports science area. Um, and she does like a lot of movement by mechanics, um, training and approach to um, strength and conditioning with endurance athletes at the moment. So she's. Um, Yeah, really sort of started to get into the trail running and the ultra running a little bit herself over the last sort of 12 months Um, and with a strong triathlon background before
0: that. Cool. Mm. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And you knew her because she was your coach, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
2: yes. (laughs) Yeah, she, um, so she was, uh, yeah, she was coaching me. Um, for a bit and she still is to this day um, which has been amazing and um, yeah she I was moving she was in grew up in Kilcunder down in Victoria and I was dead back down over Christmas I was planning on doing this run from uh, uh, Dalesford to Castlemaine um, which was meant to be about 57 k's um, and she was like oh I'll come down and join you and that was the first time I'd sort of met her in person and we just kind of hit it off uh, even despite after two k's into the run <laughs> it's, it's a one-way kind of trail, um, and we went 5Ks the other direction, the wrong direction, about two kilometres into this massive Oh uh, And she didn't kill me or murder me when we added an extra 10K on at the start. So it was a 67K run. So, I, yeah, she sort of passed a few tests there. <laughs> I That's love your testing love. process. That's so good.
1: <laughs> so good. That's so funny. Um, so I mean that's obviously a massive run. I'm conscious you have what's the what's the farthest you've run?
2: I have completed Tarawera Miler, and that's yeah. That felt like a bit of a hike. I was fairly same. injured going into it, um, and yep, kind of ended up walking the last pretty much 110 kilometres of it. Wow! So.
1: I'm trying to think. Was I there the same year? And no, I'm not sure it was the same year. I've
2: DNF'd that one once before. That uh, might have been the year that I... we were maybe there the yeah. same time. But. So yeah, well, where's
1: your miler? A miler, by the way, for anyone is 100 Mm -hmm. miles running, so 160Ks. Not one mile. Not Mm. one (laughs) mile. (laughs) Because we did the miler in school.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I think it was 2020. So just before COVID. Yeah, just before COVID Mm -hmm. kicked off.
1: Nice. That's a beautiful course. Mm. Um, And then, so. Those are races. I'm conscious that you have some interesting plans coming up in terms of running that's not race specific. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Ballarat and uh, had ran sections or parts of the Goldfields Trail, um, which is a 200-kilometre trail that goes from Bendigo to Ballarat and finishes at Mount Buniong. Um and ever since I sort of got into ultra running, I had this kind of, just this seed of an idea of, well, maybe I wouldn't mind running that one day. Um, and then, yeah, I've literally just kind of thought, why not this year, uh, earlier on this year, um, especially with COVID and difficulty planning and organising races, I thought there's a bit more flexibility around dates and being able to choose when and when, to, when not to do it. So hopefully around October, so I've got some serious training to put in before <laughs> Before then, but, um, yeah, looking forward to getting down there and running from um, Bendigo and then hopefully finish the top of Mount Bunyong 200 kilometres later. And uh, there, there is a fastest known time or an FKT on that course, which is it's a pretty quick time. It's about 30, 30 hours and 30 minutes, I think. So um, I'm going to have to move fairly quickly if I want to kind of give that a, a nudge. Um, and that would be nice. That would be a nice kind of... Comp- competitive kind of thing to kind of push me along but not the main reason for doing it um, but I'm definitely aware that the longer stuff is definitely not playing to my strengths but I think that's kind of why I wanted to do it I kind of wanted to really kind of challenge myself and take a different approach to training which I've taken this year under some of Cara's guidance and um, really focused on building up my strength and getting getting rid of a lot of niggles I'd, I'd had about five years of chronic sort of hamstring tendinitis and glute tendinitis in both legs and had just kind of taken that common athlete or running kind of attitude to it of I'll just push through um so I've been really rehabilitating a lot of that years and years of just punishing my body um and that's been really good like I'm feeling as healthy as I ever have um at the moment Um, which has been really nice and refreshing. So taking a slightly different approach that I've taken before. Um, So, yeah, it'd be really cool to kind of put that to the test um, when I give this um, challenge a go. So I think that's the big reason and motivator for me is it's a real challenge for me and it'll be a real test to sort of see how well I am sort of going. Um, And it'll be just be a fun adventure because Cara will come down and crew and Mum and Dad will come down and crew, I'm sure, and it'll be sort of a fun kind of uh, adventure and be cool to get a little weird and lose my mind a little bit out there. and
0: <laughs> See if you can get to the uh, realms of uh, hallucinations. Yeah. <laughs> On this fun adventure in inverted yeah, 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 yeah. My question was going to be if it was going to be self-supported or um, supported or anything like that. So,
2: Yeah, I chose go the supported route just because I think it will be more fun way with, more fun I'm with, sure uh, <laughs> with everyone there and, and then if people want to jog a little bit with me they can Um yeah
1: and so how so the FKT is around 30 hours mm-hmm. how do you go into this like do you go in planning dirt naps as you go or are you just going to try and stay awake for the entire time
2: I'll try and stay awake the whole time hopefully I don't have to sleep if I have to sleep I think I'll be the wheels have fallen off somewhere. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, just go as hard as I can from the start and hold on. Is that, That's the attitude, right? Start
0: fast, <laughs> run faster, and finish fastest. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coach Kristen. Yeah. Pretty sure I got that from the office when Michael Scott did his 5K run. <laughs> another office reference just yeah. to throw in there. Sounds like good advice to me. Yeah. I'll take that on board. <laughs> um, so you've done, I mean, this, that's a huge undertaking. How many, um, how much metre elevation are you doing? I think it's about
2: four and a half thousand or maybe just under. Okay. So it's um, not a huge amount of climbing over that distance, but it's really sort of an undulating course. Um, and it's all beautiful kind of trail. Most of it is single trail, uh, oh, which is really cool. And you awesome. run through some... Yeah, lots of sort of goldfields, relics and uh yeah, it's a pretty um unique kind of trail and so much of it is on, on trail. I don't think there's really that much bitumen running at all. Um so. Is it
1: signposted? Like how's your nav going to be on this? It is
2: signposted. Um, I've got the Strava file from the whole thing, which I'll definitely put onto my watch and, and use that because I think that'll keep me on track. The signposts are somewhat a little bit confusing sometimes. I've been on little small runs around Ballarat and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I'll try and follow that trail and end up somewhere
0: completely different. So Hence getting lost at 2K in. <laughs> you had to bring that up again, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, it was like a softball. <laughs> so you've done all these like huge stuff. You've done Tarawera. You're planning this 200K what got you into running in the first place? Cause we only really heard about you at 17 years old, kind mm-hmm. of getting into strength and conditioning. So where did your transition get into running and obviously became an obsession like we all have.
2: <laughs> yeah. I played a lot of, um, AFL football growing of up. Of you did. Yeah. And I, just, <laughs> I was obsessed by that. I love that, but just never had the real talent to take it any, anywhere apart from, you know, recreationally. Um, how, how tall are you? I'm 5'3", thereabouts, 163 centimetres, I think. Um, So pretty short, which probably didn't help as well. Um, (laughs) But it did sort of lead me to even when I was playing, I was playing in the centre on the ball where there was a lot of running required. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of filtered through and got me hooked on the running a little bit. Um, And then when I had that gap year in between high school, I was working full time um, with a guy... Um, by the name of Merv Johnson and um, he was an amazing runner back in his day, um, like a 216 marathon runner and just missed out on the Olympics and Ballarat's a mecca for long distance running and and particularly back in in that era. Um, So he sort of encouraged me to keep doing a bit more running and it was kind of a nice balance because I think he'd sort of wrapped up his running and hadn't been doing it much. So I think him helping me was sort of motivating him to kind of get out a little bit too. So it was this nice balance where... You know, I'd go for a jog around Lake Wenderee and, um, you know, he sort of introduced me to all the runners around that he sort of knew. And, um, yeah, he got me signed up with Wenderee Athletics Club Um, uh, and I did the um, summer track season there with them when I was 18, uh, which was a bit of a disaster in terms of, like, exposure to running. Um, It was a bit of a shock to the system a uh, very grounding experience running in Ballarat. You quickly know where your place is in the in the world of running when you sort of line up my first track meet, I think Steve Montigetti and was you know, I was racing against him essentially and I think he lapped me twice in the three K <laughs> event. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a blow to the ego. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was
2: funny because the first two hundred meters, I was like in the top. There was about forty or maybe fifty runners on the track potentially, and I think I was in the top ten for the first hundred meters. Off fast.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm like,
2: oh, maybe I've got a little bit of talent here. And then fifty meters later, I'm like, yeah slowly moving way back <laughs> through the field and then, but
0: it's tough, those track oh, track races, tr- you yeah, have to like, no elbows and you've got people's spikes going into your <laughs> yeah. legs if you're caught in the wrong spot it's brutal, yeah. yeah
2: it was a pretty funny experience, a rude awakening and yeah, felt very grounded, I'm like okay that's um, where I'm at.
0: Even just that whole
1: psychology of being lapped, it's not like in an ultra where people are just getting further away and you don't really know where they are, it's like oh, he's passed me again <laughs> yeah, twice <yeah, of> <laughs> I actually
2: can't remember whether it was three times. I think it was it was it was a lot. Like it was it was just a two hundred meter track, right?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's only seven and a half laps in a three K yeah. event. So not, <laughs> so not a lot 3K, of K, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that sort of yeah got me hooked on running. I did go back to football for a few years but then always sort of stay connected with the Wendere Athletics Club and um did a lot of running with them and loved their cross country season down there. Victoria've got an amazing um cross-country athletics kind of set up there where you have these club ballarat's got i think four clubs um and you have your own club things where there's like essentially a cross-country event from anywhere from 3ks to 15ks That's out in the bush every weekend or different courses and once a month you sort of meet up with another club and race against the other club and then i think once a month um you'd also have like state meets where a bit more regional kind of events um and it's just this awesome kind of environment where you've basically got an amazing trial run to do every week and um, Queensland should get their acting together mm. and get something like that set up because that was awesome. And
0: I can also, though, on the other side of it, just go, oh, man, people are going to destroy themselves. Like imagine racing every 15K every week. I know that's not a long way, but, like, that's hard in your body. Yeah. <laughs> and none of us are 18 years old <laughs> anymore. <laughs> True. Because okay. that sounds very high school to me. So you're saying that that's available for, I'm using inverted commas, <laughs> of older people, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. I loved cross country for high school. Yeah, That'd be I really cool yeah. if it's something that's available. Yeah.
2: As well. It was yeah. just a, yeah, just a, I probably took it for granted when I was down there and moved up to Queensland. I'm like, what you don't have, like, where are your cross country events? Like, it was just, yeah. So a really kind of special place to and be, have that opportunity to do that. Yeah.
1: I associate it with being muddy and freezing cold though. Yes. In Scotland, cross country. It's like it's not a Queensland type environment.
2: Ballarat, Ballarat was the same. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cold and muddy. Yeah. yeah. That's fun though. You get those mm, so like the stacks. Like I know everybody's got their big hawkers or the new balances that already have that big massive stack on it. And then you get the mud that just sticks and sticks and sticks. Did you guys have that mud when you were growing up? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it was like you're on a platform. <laughs> Which helps all of us mm. in our height. Yeah. <laughs> I was five five. (laughs) very quickly yeah (laughs) and so then how did you transition to
1: trail from that
2: yeah so when I started working full-time i sort of finished studying and it was that classic being stuck in a nine-to-five type job and one of my friends had um, originally from Ballarat but he moved up to Queensland and did an ultra and uh like oh that's kind of cool and I was really looking for that challenge myself or something to challenge myself to step outside my comfort zone. Um, So I sort of got talking to him and he was like yeah do it sign up and uh, that classic kind of ultra community thing just kind of give it a go and yeah I did and that was that the Flinders tour 50k one that I um came up to Queensland to run and pretty much was hooked from the moment I sort of um, stepped onto that that trail and that community environment was just amazing and I think I did Maybe not that year, but the year after. I think I did about 12, 10 to 12 ultras in that 12-month oh. period, which is probably a little bit too many. But um, So we're
0: talking about the hamstring and glute issue roughly around that time when we it can started. sort of see that connection
1: a little bit, yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's impressive. It?
1: How many times have you raced like 100Ks?
2: I've done four black holes, yeah. um, Surf Coast Century, Gold Coast 100 Possibly missing one other there. Yeah. Six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's
1: impressive. Yeah. So,
0: Luke, you are a psychologist now. Yes. Yes. So talk a little bit about what you do because psychologist is a really broad term, right? So what is it that you do as a psychologist?
2: Yeah. So I'm a clinical psychologist by training um, and I work in um, private practice three days a week up at Hinsland Psychology Services in Mullaney. Um, which is, yeah, it's an amazing practice and got a really cool team up there, which is, I just, yeah, absolutely love it up there. Um, And that's just working with uh, general mental health, people from all walks of life. Um, I don't particularly, um, made a bit of a conscious choice not to particularly specialise in anything too specific and and keep it general at the moment, which is um, I'm really enjoying the challenge of that. Um, And then the other few days a week or the rest of the A week. um, I do a lot more performance psychology stuff. That's sort of a lot of online stuff, Zoom, and a couple of clients from overseas and um, local clients, and a lot of um, sort of targeting endurance athletes and um, running and triathlon more so. But um, you have a couple of um, other athletes from different sports as well doing the performance psychology stuff. Um, And then on top of that, um, Kara. and myself for doing some running retreats Um, and we've got some really exciting projects in the in the works at the moment that we're um, it should be really cool and really excited to kind of launch and get out there so you know as I said she's a strength and conditioning coach that has this uh, movement biomechanic approach to working with endurance athletes Um, and then my psychology component is just this like really cool combination that we're going to have this mind body kind of holistic kind of sense to working with the endurance athletes so we've got a um we'll probably do some one day workshop type sort of things and sort of um get a few programs and courses set up and do a few more running retreats as we go as well so that's they've been really um exciting and um yeah, fun to kind of engage in as well, and it's that classic kind of jumping into it and learning as you go a little bit as well. Um, that's just finished a retreat on the weekend, and you always take something away um, from those retreats and learn about yourself as well as just professionally as well and how to improve things and do thif- things differently. So, um, yeah, it's a really been a really cool process, um, and I've been working a little bit with um, Brett and Megan from Run Queensland who have a uh, Crookneck retreat um, down the Glasshouse Mountains there. So we've been doing a few retreats there, which is this you know, beautiful area to kind of do it from as well.
1: Yeah, mm. so cool. It's so nice that you and Cara have been able to combine those two passions, which come together so beautifully for an athlete. I'm curious um, in terms of your performance psychology and the athletes you work with. If I was interested in working with you, like, what does that mean? What does that look like?
2: Mm-hmm. It's varies for, it depends, yeah, classic um, easy answer. <laughs> the easy get out, yeah. yeah, yeah. Next question. <laughs> no. So typically it will involve um, a, a Skype or a Zoom session if we can't do face-to-face. Um, usually it's an hour, hour-long hour sort of session um, and we'll get a bit of a background in terms of, you know, sporting type sort of in, in stuff and in, things that particularly we want to work on. Um, and then we, we just go about working on specific, with the sports stuff, often it is kind of more targeted specific stuff around, you know, maybe it's about anxiety around performance or, you know, their, their you know passion for their sports kind of waned a little bit, their, their motivations become a little bit confused and, and dis- distorted and um, off they got off track a little bit and lost that sort of spark and zest for the sport. So you see a lot of that in endurance sports, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it seems to be around that. Um, A lot of anxiety stuff around performance anxiety, competitive anxiety, you know, um, and just anxiety about can I do it, you know, even certain specific things like, you know, downhill running or uh, any particular challenges that you might have around that sort of stuff as well. Um, The thing I love about it, though, is you just can't separate sport and life and sport and particularly running, you know, there's no... There's a reason why there's so many life metaphors around running, um, and it's running is just such a beautiful vehicle and mirror to the rest of our lives. So we'll be talking about running and that sort of thing, and then it's so easily able to, you know, reflect that into big aspects of our life. So that, for me, that just makes it so much more meaningful. Um, and I think when you're working with um, athletes in that regard, they get so much more benefit out of it from a holistic perspective in terms of, yeah, it'll help their sporting performance, but also, you know, make them better people and better partners and better, better colleagues and just improves their overall kind of life. And I think that's what I love so much about it is, you know, running is just this beautiful sport that, um, is such a good mirror for the rest of our lives.
0: Totally. Mm -hmm. What, what do you take for your own life? What do you do for your, I guess, Performance psychology?
2: Yeah, uh, I try and practice a little bit of uh, mindfulness um, and gratitude, I find really helpful as well. I think a lot of us, mindfulness is really about just staying in the present moment, non judgmentally, and just trying to hold on to that space as much as possible
0: hold on yeah, <laughs> <going> on? yeah. <laughs> yeah. for dear life
2: <laughs> yeah because I think you know when we're out running and you're hurting and you're you know 60 80 k's into a run you expect especially if you're competing you, you might have thoughts of like where's the next competitor Um, or am I going to finish this race or whatever it might be but there's lots of you know, um, projecting into the future and our thoughts, and we're living in this space in the future where it's just—it's not helpful and not relevant to stay in that space for too long. Like it might be helpful for a second to go, okay, where's this person? I need to chase them down, or um, okay, this is going to be a tough section. I need to manage myself. That's helpful, but a lot of it—that thinking—is really unhelpful and a, a waste of energy. So I think bringing ourselves back to that present moment and just trying to stay in the moment is where we can kind of save our energy and kind of reduce a lot of that stress that we put on ourselves. Um, and we could sort of say the same for thinking in the past too of like, oh, I've stuffed this race, I've ruined it, I've gone too slow, I've, you know. Um, we, that's not a helpful space to kind of be in. So having that skill, and it is a skill, it's something we really need to practice um, and we need to practice in an environment that's not stressful. So then when we are deep in the hurt locker, We've got the skills to kind of be able to apply that in a really complex environment where we're under pressure. We might be hungry and starving and grumpy and not in the best mood and questioning why we even do this sport and all of those types of thoughts that we've all had. Um, To be able to stay mindful and stay in the moment then is a really difficult thing to do uh, but can be such a powerful um, performance booster, I think. Um, I think gratitude sort of... Can be really helpful just being appreciative for different things that, and why we're there. That can kind of keep us in a, a positive and optimistic kind of um, headspace. You don't sort of see too many pessimistic high performers, and gratitude really is around optimism. Um, and that's a great tool to boost our optimism. You know, we live in a society where it's so threatened, negative, both by, by us, um, and our minds are even designed to. Detect threat and notice all the negative things to help us survive. We operate on that better safe than sorry principle, and it's better better to see that stick as a snake than the other way around. Because, um, yeah. Literally, the classic, yeah. the
0: classic game of stick or snake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've all played that, and yeah. most of us have won. If we are still here. Exactly.
2: So that's the beautiful evolutional part of the mind yeah. that's that that's helpful, but we can get ourselves in a bit of a dark space if we hold onto that negative stuff. So gratitude is a great one to pull ourselves out of that, particularly if you're on a trail run, you know, notice some things you're grateful for the fact that you're out there moving, you're out there in this beautiful environment. Um, It's so easy to be grateful for when you're running in a beautiful place. Um, But it's just about training yourself to notice those things. So you can maintain that optimism and positivity when you're out there under stress and maybe not feeling the greatest.
1: And very intentionally practicing it as well. Like I know you keep a, gratitude journal or mm-hmm. I don't know what you would refer to, but you have your little gratitude lists. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a daily practice for you, is that
2: right? Or... Uh, not daily. I do it as regularly as I can. Um, <laughs> it's like anything, like sometimes I think we can get a bit carried away with self-care and it becomes a, more of a stressful thing than yeah. it is. Oh, and my gosh. Yeah. yeah, imagine
0: that just spiral. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <Holy laughs> shit, I haven't, I haven't done do my gratitude <laughs> journal. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So I try, and, I try and meditate as much as I can. I would like to do that a lot more. Um, I try and do the gratitude list as much as I can um, and um, – and, I think the other area I'm sort of really moving into is the compassion field as well. I do a lot of compassion-focused therapy in my clinical work. And when I started doing that in the clinical work, I was seeing the benefit there. But then I'm being in the, the sport, and particularly in the endurance world, I was really seeing, like, the application of how that can be so beneficial for endurance athletes as well. So I started to really apply that concept um, and that, that theory to the endurance world too. And I definitely try and hold on to that a little bit as well when uh, when I'm out there running.
0: So what is that? I I haven't heard of that before. Like I've heard of gratitude and mindfulness, but the compassion, what did you call it?
2: Yeah. Compassion focused therapy. Um, A good one, like, or Mm -hmm. self-compassion, you know, maybe self-love is a, you know, more kind of popular term term for it as well. Um, Kristen Neff's a really good um, book, self-compassion, really good intro kind of book, easy to read with lots of really sort of basic examples kind of explains compassion focused therapy to the, in in layman's terms, really. Um, so that's a really good book for a starting place for anyone that wants to kind of explore that area. But again, I sort of see, you know, mindfulness has boomed probably over the last 20 years. And that's been a direct result of the culture and society we live in where our attention is just being pulled left and right. And it's really hard to focus, you know, we've got our phones that are constantly distracting us. So mindfulness is like, you know, this superpower to be able to stay focused um, so mindfulness boomed as a result of the society and a need for it in that society I feel like gratitude sort of stuff has had a sort of similar thing maybe not quite to the extent and in my mind I really think the compassion stuff is going to kind of be the next kind of phase of that a little bit um, and be- if we think about it we're so self-critical and self-judgmental towards ourselves we are so hard on ourselves and compassion and particularly self-compassion is the opposite of doing that and it's kind of stepping out of that kind of judgment and really critical, harsh critic of ourselves a little bit and being a little bit kinder and compassionate to ourselves. And that can, you know, really have lots of benefits in all areas of our lives when we're able to do that. Um, One of the common myths that people do, particularly perfectionist and type A sort of people which is a lot of endurance kind of athletes is they feel like oh if I'm not hard on myself I'm going to lose my motivation and all the research does not support that at all so um, in fact it's sort of the opposite in terms of you know how perfectionism can to an extent can really be detrimental to our performance um, so compassion is a, is a nice antidote to a lot of that sort of stuff particularly if we're out running a really Harsh on ourselves. Oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. It's a great tool to be able to develop that sort of skill to kind of be able to apply that to our performance and and just improve our well being enjoyment of the sport that we we love.
0: I feel like compassion would be harder. So I do a little bit of gratitude stuff, and I try to do just three things a day. And what I have read in the past is try and make it very specific. So it can't be. I'm grateful for not having COVID. You know, I'm grateful for. Being helped, like it needs to be a little bit more specific than that. I'm grateful for coming into freshly washed sheets, like something very small in your day, Mm -hmm. which is that positivity that you talk about. Uh, But some of those things you can kind of have as an external gratitude, whereas compassion, you have to be nice to yourself. And part of that gratitude thing... now that you're talking about it I'm like ooh, that doesn't force me really to think internally is probably more what I know for me I probably need to work on a little bit more so I feel like compassion if that's the new thing far out like that's hard yeah
2: I'm so glad you mentioned that too because that is such an important part of it and that's often sort of say to people, like, you just be kind and compassionate to yourself. And people like, like they have this physiological reaction to that. There's this defense and these walls that come up around that. I feel like
0: my heart rate's already going up thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And I think, you know, 99% of people you mentioned to that have some, you know, level of that sort of response to it. There's a resistance to it. And that's exactly why we need more of it because Mm. there is that such a strong resistance to that, which is crazy when you think about just like, why can't we be kind? It It seems like the most simple and obvious thing, but people have this really sort of strong response to it. It's, you know, it takes a lot of vulnerability. And for me, vulnerability is really courage. Like it takes a lot of courage to step into that vulnerable space yeah, and be vulnerable. Is strength.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and- how would you tell people, because we're trying to elevate the voice of the everyday adventurer, which you are, but also in this case, we can kind of use your knowledge to help the everyday adventurer who might be listening. So what would you um, recommend for people to do? I'd like to hear what you'd recommend for the compassion stuff because I'm using you and using you for myself while you're <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a therapy session. there. <laughs> what would you recommend for people to start?
2: Yeah. So if you think of compassion in terms of how it flows, so the flow of compassion is a really good place to start. Um, so, and it flows sort of three ways. We can be compassionate to others or something else. Um, If you have difficulties with compassion, you know, be compassionate to a plant, you know, like give some care and kindness to a plant, take care of it. Like we can be kind to a dog or an animal, but then to be kind, To a human is often a bit more challenging to do for us. So, you know, start small and build up that. And what you want to do when you do that is connect. Like you mentioned with the gratitude stuff, is connecting to that feeling. You want to connect to that feeling of compassion and hold into that because what we're trying to do is strengthen up the areas of our brain and retrain ourselves to be able to sit in that space and and, and feel that compassion. And that's that deeper level sort of stuff of it. So, being compassionate to others is obviously the generally the easiest step. The next step is to be able to receive compassion to yourself so when someone says to you and I am shocking for this this is something I'm still working on um you know accept a compliment yeah don't be that's like, hard don't 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 <laughs> minimize it or don't just sort of you know bat it away like you know oh it was nothing anyone could have done it or whatever like go, oh thank you you know mm. like it doesn't oh. that is such a hard one it's to do. it's hard
0: to take a compliment and go oh well, you can maybe say, you know, thank you, but you know, I compliment you too, and so then it goes back onto somebody else. So you don't actually sit in that too. I'm sure that's probably part of it as well. as you just have to say thank you and take it. You can compliment someone later, but right now you've got to be in your own compassion. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've got to sit there and be able to
2: hold that mm. that sort of stuff. Um, and then the next step is self compassion, which is probably the hardest part. Is like being kind to ourselves, which sounds crazy every time I say it, but. It is, and it's something that we could all work on. It would all improve our lives as as humans and, and that sort of stuff and, and in our sport as well and our adventuring. Um, mindfulness is kind of what allows us to be aware of what's happening and navigate through rough times. Compassion is a, is what gives us strength to be able to stay in the fight for long enough to navigate through those difficult periods. So when we're in an endurance event, you know, we need to be mindful of certain things. Is that a hot spot on my foot? Do I need to eat? Like, you know, is there big climb coming up we need to be mindful of that sort of stuff but compassion and being compassionate towards ourselves gives us the strength and courage to stay in that fight and that suffering for longer because you know pain is unavoidable in life but how we suffer we've got a little bit more influence over and um, if we can be compassionate to that suffering and not connect to that story that we kind of tell ourselves about our suffering we're able to kind of just see it as go, yeah, this is hurting at the moment. I'm 80Ks into an ultra. It's meant to hurt, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm giving it a crack and working as hard as I can. We get caught up far less in that story that goes around, which can kind of really derail us. And I think that's why you see a lot of people DNF and pull out is because they get hooked on those stories in their minds. And compassion allows us to sort of stay and hold in that space of vulnerability and going. I might not be performing as well as I'd like to be or I might not be going as well as I'd like to be, but that's okay. I'm going to keep working through that.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's... most DNFs probably happen because of the mon- like nobody's going to die from overexertion. I'm And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure your physiology will stop you before you die from overexertion. Yeah. You might have a traumatic, you know, I've heard of the... Um, Triathletes that go out into the swim, they have a heart attack that might be from anxiety or underlying health conditions. Stuff like that is different. Like, you won't die from trying too hard. (laughs) But you'll DNF because you can't push through it more often than not, is my understanding of all these people who have done DNFs. Like, they're still moving, But look at their appearance and their head down. You posted
1: a beautiful picture, Luke, on your Instagram, little mad runner, of, yeah, just like walking along the trail mid-race, head down, and it's that thing if you can just see you're attaching to that story of, It's like, I'm 80Ks in, but I'm useless. I can't run anymore. Oh, I don't even belong here. I'm an imposter. And then suddenly it's like, there's no point even being alive. And it's like, you're just running a race. But it's so easy to spiral into that just dark, dark place, right? Yeah, very easy. (laughs) And
2: it's about being kind to ourselves too when we do fall into those spaces because we're all human. And that's this other element of the compassion stuff of this shared humanity concept is that we all suffer. We all go through hardship and that's okay. We're all just fumbling around on this little rock trying to do the best we can. And yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: We're not yeah. alone in it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So the compassion is something to work on. I like that. What's the difference between like your idea of success and failure in adventure? Cause you have had DNFs before. Mm-hmm. So would you call those a failure for example? And what do you deem as successes when you go into adventures? Because it's all relative, right?
2: It is all relative. That's a great question. Um, would I, in the truest sense, maybe they are failures, the DNS, but the learnings you take from them are so much more, and and often so much more beneficial than they would have been if you had have finished. Um, so those learning from those really difficult kind of times, those struggles, um, I've sort of the DNS I've had have been. I was, I was glad I sort of pulled out, like that I made the right decision in terms of injury and, and health. So um, for, me, for me personally, I was kind of okay with making... I was disappointed, but I was okay with making those decisions. Um, what I love about endurance sports is really challenging that kind of mental component of it. And if I had have pulled out because of that, I would have been a lot, maybe a lot harder and would have had to work a lot harder on the compassion side for that for myself. Um, so I think for me you know, the definition of success is really being able to overcome those sort of difficult times. I had an absolute shocker race at Blackall 100 last year. I was in a really bad space, going through a lot of life sort of stuff. Um, Had some stuff happen the night before. I literally had an hour sleep before the race. And I was sort of driving to the race thinking like, "Um, there's not much point even sort of starting this. Like, what's the point? And I sort of got into it and I was like, I'll give it a go. And I was like, trying to hold on to this small speck of positivity of like maybe I'll just have one of those days where I have a day out and 20Ks into the race I was like pretty cooked and exhausted and sort of stumbling around a little bit. At 30Ks, which is like 8 o'clock in the morning, I actually pulled off, took my pack off and had a 10-minute nap on the side of the trail. <laughs> it's like 8 o'clock. In black hole, like, hundred in the, yeah. wow. <laughs> So and then I was pretty de- dejected after that Um and I walked probably the next, um I think it was probably sp- – five to eight k's maybe walk the next sort of little bit before i kind of realized and connected with one of my big motivations and one of the reasons why i run um and that's about kind of overcoming those obstacles and those challenges and once i was able to kind of connect with that motivator for me i'm like this is the best opportunity like I've been gifted here to actually test that. Like I am struggling. I've got no business in even finishing this race, but what an opportunity I've got to kind of step out of my comfort zone and really push the limits of my physical and mental capacity. And as soon as I had that thought, that whole race, that next, you know, it was probably the next sort of 55, 60 kilometres was like just a different experience. It, it was hard and it was slow and as. You know, you could look at it from a black and white sense. It was the slowest ultra I've ever done, my worst performance, but it's one of the races that I'm most proud of because I finished it when I probably probably shouldn't have and had many excuses and reasons that I could have pulled out. But being able to connect with that, why for me, I've been able to kind of, you know, really challenge myself mentally and go to those sort of dark places and, and see where you can kind of get to and what your mind can do and pull yourself out of. That was Once I realised I had that opportunity to sort of test that, yeah, my whole mindset changed and I dropped all this baggage and all these stories I was telling myself and was able to just kind of be in the moment and really enjoy the rest of that race for what it was.
1: That's yeah. a freaking incredible turnaround. Yeah. Like yeah. That's just Especially very when you're getting inspiring. into <laughs> the hardest
0: parts. Like you're dropping yeah. down into Gorilla Loop and you've got all of that plus the climb out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh that's commitment. <laughs> and and also within that, there's that
1: element of just dropping your ego as well, right? Because it's like you're not placing where you, you would mm-hmm. want to be placing. You're a very strong runner. And all of those stories that come with that too, it's, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. This it's is such why a... you're a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so you guys are bringing a little bit of that into the retreats as well of that mindfulness and bit of compassion and maybe gratitude. Yeah, like, definitely.
2: Yep. Yeah. And we do a lot of looking at, you know, why they run. And I think that can get really distorted in the insurance world. We can kind of start to become motivated by external factors and our ego really gets in the way. And I see that all the time where, you know, the, the person might be really dedicated and, but their ego just destroys them. Like they don't know how to manage that and they fall apart. Um, and and often, sadly, lose passion and interest for the sport and their motivation becomes polluted in some sort of sense because things get caught up in those external factors and they lose the the love and passion for why they started doing it in the first place. And, you know, I think that's just life and society. We kind of can get caught up in that a little bit. Um, And I think particularly with ultra running, it's a pretty small bowl, like it's a small pond to swim Mm -hmm. in. So, you know, the average runner, like I'm just an average runner. I run okay, but I'm no by by no means elite. Or I'm, I'm never going to represent Australia at the Olympics or anything like that. But, you know, I can kind of win or place at an ultra. Um, and that can kind of, if you haven't had that success, that can really kind of, you know, fire up that ego component, which can kind of start to distort a lot of people's performance and, and where they are and their their grounding. and And that can really kind of then start to wear away at their enjoyment of the sport. Um, so really being able to connect to the why and like why they're doing it and getting in touch with those deeper levels, getting getting past all the superficial rubbish of why we run and that sort of stuff and getting to those deeper levels is a really powerful way to kind of help kind of purify some of that motivation for people and, yeah you know, get that zest and enjoyment back for it.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, so I, I feel like you touched on it, but just like for clarity, when it comes to your FKT, mm-hmm. if you... Happen to hit some dark moments. I will. <laughs> <laughs> what is your true why for doing this?
2: I, I think it comes back to similar to that black hole one. Um, really wanting to test my limits and sort of see, you know, put put some of the stuff that I practice to to the test, um, not uh, physically as well. Um, and um, and I just love the adventure of it. I, I'm so hungry for that long day out on the trail where stuff gets a little bit kind of gnarly and weird. And like, I'm just itching for that. Like I haven't raced in a, in a little while. I'm really kind of, you know, wanting to kind of get into that sort of zone where it starts to get a bit hard and you kind of just, I I paced a friend at um, the Brisbane trail ultra um, Carmen on last weekend and, yeah, that was so inspiring to see her finish that miler and do so well at it and, and pace her through the night, which was such a cool time. And I was just like, oh, I'm so envious of you right now. She was hurting. She was probably like, shut up, Luke, whatever. And I was like, <laughs> 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 but I, was like oh, I just wish I could be in your spot right now. I was just, like, just so hungry for that kind of being in that sort of space where – everything else in the world kind of fades away Mm. and you're just in that moment and and your life becomes so simple where it's like one foot in front of the other and enjoy nature and just make sure you eat all the good food.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh, well, I do wish you all the best for it. That's super exciting.
0: Mm. I'll, um, I'll make you practice some compassion as well because I'll call you out a little bit, before you said that you're not, you're just an average runner. I knew Kristen you was going to do this. Not an average <laughs> no, runner, indeed. Nobody here is like. Oh hang on <laughs> No, I am. <laughs> <laughs> You have done some pretty cool things. I don't. I never let Sarah get away with like putting it off. So take compassion. You are not an average runner. You are a very, very strong runner. From the very little I know about you, and everything that Sarah's told me, and you know, externally everything, of course. Not to mention,
1: we are in a room of ultra runners, right? And our audience is diverse. Yes. And even the idea of running 100 kilometers or 200 kilometers or 50 kilometers is.
0: Huge, like for huge, many of us as well. Yeah, so, for a lot of people. Thank so, you for doing that, Chris. Yep. Yeah. Just taking a step back, I'm definitely going to making other people practice it. <laughs> <Yes>. Don't reciprocate <laughs> because you guys can't. That's not part of this deal. It's not the rules. <laughs> I appreciate the uh,
2: pulling me up on that. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to. Uh, I
0: always pull Sarah up, so I'm just making sure I pull you up too. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Well, I think that's a pretty good spot to uh, kind of start to wrap this all up because we are conscious of your time as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you for taking that time out. Um, I always like it when Sarah kind of prefaces this last question for us.
1: (laughs) Okay, so Luke, um, I have helped a friend, Jackie, coach a bunch of little girls (laughs) mountain biking at Sugar Bag Trails on the sunny coast, and they can't go an hour without needing to take what they refer to as a wild wee. Okay, so this this has become a little expression we're using now. And the (laughs) big, deep, meaningful question we have for you to finish on is tell us about your wildest we it's
2: probably an apt question considering I don't have plumbing <laughs> at the tiny the home best? at the moment
0: <laughs> <laughs> you like yesterday yeah like, um, <laughs> a few hours ago two hours ago this <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> life yeah, yes. maybe you should ask Cara <laughs> once <laughs> <each>. <laughs> Any sort of like huge wild wheat, or would you just go with just in your backyard? Daily life.
2: <laughs> I think someone caught me um, in Black Hole doing one whilst I was trying to run. I was running down a switchback, and um, I think it might have been Shona was behind me. and She's like, hey, hey, and I'm like, hey, hey,
1: on the move. Yeah, I was
2: trying to do on the move. And on switchbacks, that's brave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, they weren't too steep and it wasn't kind of hitting anyone else. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love it. Yeah, you're, you're wildest ways, definitely, probably every day. <laughs>
1: so good. All right, thank you so much for your time, Luke. If people want to find you online, where can they head?
2: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, probably at Instagram is probably the easiest spot, at Little Mad Runner, um, or on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's probably the two best best spots, but Instagram is probably always good. You can just shoot me a message on there and... Yeah, I'll get back to people from that. So. Is that
0: it, even to work with you? You'd prefer yeah, yeah. to get in contact? It's probably easiest Instagram?
2: to go through Instagram. Sure. Yep. Cool. Yeah.
0: Awesome. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. That's been awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Into the Wee Hours podcast. To get in touch, you can find us on Instagram at Into the We Hours podcast or email us at intothewehourspodcast at gmail.com. Sarah is all the gear, nay idea, and that is N-A-E for all you non-Scots people, and Kristen is at Kristen Vaughton on Instagram.
1: To read the show notes or to find out more about fastpacking and bikepacking workshops, visit intothewehours.com or follow at intothewehours on Instagram and Facebook. Happy adventuring and we'll talk to you next time.